0: locked Talk Radio Choices, decisions Frustrations and pain Knowing I'm going To forget her someday While I still can I'll challenge all my their hearts and understand that I
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, which is an advocacy-based um, company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort. And our core... Um, We really believe in collaboration, and that's how we're going to win the battle. And so we're glad that you joined us today. By joining forces and sharing our knowledge and having everyday conversations about life with dementia, I believe we can remove the stigmas attached to memory loss, and we can help those in the trenches take back their lives and live purpose-filled lives. Together, we can help both family caregivers, friends, and professionals understand the true needs not just their perceptions of the needs of those dealing with dementia. Here at Alzheimer's Speaks, we want to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss, their care partners, both family and professionals, as well as advocates supporting the cause so, again, we can all move on with life and live purposely. By raising awareness and giving and sharing um, these stories, we're going to be able to give hope. I think we're really at a time of crisis in our country where we can no longer be motivated by fear. We need to take our lives back. So, again, glad that you are here to join us. If you haven't checked out all of our platforms, please go to www.AlzheimerSpeaks.com. There you'll find our blog, our resource website, access to the radio show, YouTube channels, free tools, and more. Our channel expert is Rick Phelps, and I never know if Rick's schedule is going to be able to accommodate him um, joining the show or not. You see, Rick has early onset um, Alzheimer's disease, and so depending on how his day is going, um, he's able to participate with us or not. Rick is the founder of Memory People on Facebook, which is a wonderful support group, and it's got well over 2,000 people all over the world joined together um, for true real-time conversations building community. So if you haven't checked it out, just um, while you're in Facebook, just in the search bar, put in memory people, it will pop up and ask to join the group. Today I have two fabulous guests, and I hope that, again, you'll join the conversation. And you can do that by using your chat box, if you've signed in with Facebook, or you can call in to um, 714-364-4757. Again, that number is 714 714- 364-4757, four, four, seven, seven. and you'll just have to push one to go ahead and get into our queue. So with no further ado, I am going to introduce our first guest, who is Jane Wolf Waterman. Jane spent nearly four decades honing her skills as a problem solver and applying her special brand of listening um, to the concerns presented by her clients. She graduated with honors from Wesley College. She received her Juris Doctor Law degree from Boston University. And Jane has told me that she feels privileged to have helped so many people live happier, healthier, and saner lives. But she's just not content to stop there. Jane has recognized that she's come upon a life-defining moment. And at this time, um, it's, it's it's her place to now give back. Um, to her parents who had given her life, an education, and so much more. (laughs) Choosing to reverse um, her former place as a child in the family, Jane found herself embracing a brand new role. And little did she know then that parenting our parents, or doing what she refers to as POP, um, would last 10 years. Today she's going to share this life-changing experience and concept with us. Um, Jane is also the author of the forthcoming book, Oh My God, We're Parenting Our Parents, How to Transform This Remarkable Challenge into a Journey of Love. Welcome today, Jane. How are you doing?
2: Good morning, Lori. I'm just delighted to be here with you and your audience this morning. And uh, I was listening to your introduction, and I love the word collaboration um, as you're defining the mission of your radio show here, because really what we're all doing here is working together, we're collaborating and sharing our stories, and that's how Parenting Our Parents or POP really came about, sharing the personal tale of my own and of so many people that I've met and more that we're all meeting and about to meet, millions of men and women who are of all ages, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, mm-hmm. thinking they'd finished, thinking they'd finished all their parenting, but uh, like you and I, Laurie, they've gotten drawn back into uh, this time to care for their own aging parents. Many of whom now have dementia, or as we know, by the time people get to be 85, one in two people will be diagnosed with some form of memory loss and dementia. So. Uh Although it may not be this moment we're looking ahead and trying to share our stories, and, as you say, moving out of fear into love,
1: mhm well it's um it's gonna be a journey, and I think a wonderful conversation that we're gonna to have today and what where I'd like to start, Jane, is if you can give our audience a little peek into you know what your life changing experience was how it came about and give us some background on you know what happened and how it affected you and then from sure. there we can really sure. get into pop if you don't mind okay
2: No I think that's a great way to start because in fact you know this really is a personal tale it's it's my personal tale but it is um in many ways perhaps yours and so many other people's I I was uh, taking a trip to New York City where my parents were living and where I had grown up with them. And by this time, I had uh, long since moved out where I now live, to California. And I was uh, sort of merrily going along with my life, and uh, I was planning to meet them for dinner. (coughs) And I called them, and they were very... uh, hesitant and sort of putting me off and uh, finally at the last minute they agreed and we met at this restaurant and I got to tell you, Lori, two people showed up. I hardly recognized this
0: wow. old,
2: odd doddering couple and I'd been there and talking to them on the phone all the time. I'd been there a few months previously and I just didn't know who these folks were. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom was freezing cold and she wasn't really speaking much, and she didn't she let my dad order her food and talk for her. This was not the woman I'd grown up with and uh after a couple of days of putting me off, they actually uh opened the door when I demanded entry to their apartment and I found that both they and their home were in terrible shape uh they had as it turns out encountered some pneumonias and Like so many parents, I think they're afraid to let us know that they need help. And so when I arrived on this scene, uh, so much needed to be backpedaled and understood, and I'm hoping that um, knowing my story, people can perhaps do some earlier detection and frankly be a little more uh, honest with themselves than I was. I was looking at two people who were 85 years old. Uh, They lived thousands of miles away from their only daughter or their only child. And I really think that, like so many people, I just wanted to think of them as strong, independent people, and they were, in fact, aging. So that's how it came upon me to um, make the observation that something dramatically different had to happen, and uh, given the fact that we were then living thousands of miles apart, um, the next set of steps involved furiously calling around. Um, my background after practicing law was I spent 20 years, which I'm still doing, being a therapist for families focusing on aging people. I'd gone back to school in my midlife to learn about this for myself and for my family. But I still, even knowing all I knew, I didn't really get out there and make a plan. And uh, that's what began to happen. I began to have to hire people very quickly because I needed to get back to life uh, here in California. And it was becoming clear to me that it was no longer responsible of me just to kind of leave them there to work their life out. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: As it turns out, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Uh, That was not necessarily what was happening in the moment. In the moment, they were suffering with their pneumonias and inability to care for themselves and their home. But it became clear as they were aging that there were a number of phenomenon going on that I needed to pay attention to. So that's how I uh, ventured into it, and I'm afraid that an awful lot of people have that oh-my-God experience. And they just walk in one day and they realize that they've allowed themselves you know to not see that a plan needs to be put into place for mm-hmm. all the elements of their parents' life as people get older.
0: Mhm.
1: Definitely it's you know when you said you walked into that restaurant and didn't even recognize them. Um you know I didn't have that with my folks because I was very close to them. I saw them all the time, but I remember yes. other people, you know, having that reaction at certain periods for either of them. You know, as my dad progressed with his brain cancer and my mom with her disease, I mean, just totally unrecognizable. I mean, people that they had known for 50 years would not have physically even recognized them. And then you get into the the mental um, capabilities and personality things and so forth. It's it is an, a very interesting process. Um, yeah, kind of frightening. To, Were you frightened it, at all
0: when you? When you you know,
1: for me, it was really a gradual thing, and I was so yes. into just giving the care. Um, and I, my personality style is not one to really be frightened, it's just to ch- ah, take charge. To <laughs> and so I, I usually don't go there until way after the fact, and then it'll hit me and go, whoa! Yes. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, because I've had my moments where I've literally, um, and and this is just so goofy, and I'm looking back, but this is who I was back then. Um, you know, I did, I did not want to appear vulnerable, and so even when I got an overload, I actually would wait till everybody cleared out of my house. You know, my daughter was at school, my husband yeah. was gone, nobody was around. I would go into the furthest corner of the basement, and just sit on the floor and scream as loud as I could. Aww. And just and then um, I got it out of my system, which was something that I needed to do, um, but I didn't really feel like I had anyone I could share the true totality of what I was feeling. And yeah. um, you know looking back i i wouldn't recommend that method to people i think uh, i i think again it's something that needs to be talked about but i really thought um when i was going through really the hard the hardest portion for me that um i was supposed to be superwoman and i was this was expected of me and i was not going to fail and i really felt like i was failing you know at times when you get so overwhelmed when you're Working full time and volunteering, and oh, yeah. taking care of your own family, and then taking care of them, plus all these other new nuances that come into oh, a yeah. caregiver's yes, life. Indeed. And so, um, yeah, my my frighten showed up in in probably a different spot than a lot of people. <laughs> you know. Um, so.
2: Well, you, you you've raised a a whole bunch of points that are really worth elaborating on. Um, because I think that's what we're trying to do here is to show people a little bit about how our own stories have affected them and, and a- a- affected us and in turn how similar so many of our stories are. the The long-distance phenomenon versus seeing your parents every day is one of the ways where I think they show up looking so different as did mine whereas you may have had, in people who live closer to their parents, almost a harder role. It's like we don't really see ourselves aging on a daily basis, and then somebody will see us who they haven't seen in a while and go, ah, looking a little older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but on, when you see people every day, you don't tend to notice the changes as much. Um, another phenomenon, of course, is the, the compensatory things that our parents start doing mm-hmm. uh, to, especially those who are um, with incipient uh, Alzheimer's as it's coming on, they're, they're self-protective and they don't exactly know what's happening and so they will be doing compensatory things to hypothetically look more like themselves or appear to be remembering things or um, covering up and concealing in certain ways. But I think the most important part you're mentioning here is that sense of superwoman and aloneness. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
2: hope that uh, through the um, uh, community that I'm working to form for people parenting or parents, the, the pop community, and the book, that people will gain additional skills other than going to the farthest room in their house and screaming. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, You know, and that's a fine thing to do for a little while. I would never want to take away something that someone finds helps them cope. But Mm -hmm. there are many more uh, pragmatic things and practical steps uh, once perhaps we've let out some of the emotions, um, as in going to a room and screaming. So I think there are many things that we can learn how to do better, and maybe one of them is just not to set ourselves up as as superwomen or supermen or superparents and reflect on the fact that um, those of us who have been involved in raising children know they're no perfect parents. They're just Mm -hmm. people who do as best we can. And much the same can be said, I think, of people I'm calling pop parents people who've chosen to parent their elderly parents. They, too, are they as perfect as parents are. We do the best we can, and we're not super. And to press those sorts of demands on ourselves sometimes makes the job even harder than it already is.
1: Um, I agree, and that's a perfect segue, because I really wanted to get into, Jane, um, your new language that you developed. Over over pop parenting our parents and some people uh, and I'm sure you heard this some people will say that's derogatory to say you know we're Absolutely. parenting our parents um, give us you know give us your your philosophy on that um, and 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 why you think that this language is important and and dignified as well.
2: Thank you. I'd love to do that and I actually um, enjoy the conversation of people who don't like it because. Mm-hmm and we're getting into a conversation and it came about the term parenting our parents out of my experience I think of frustration in <laughs> oddly enough um, for example when, uh, when you're parenting a, a child and they uh, are able to walk to the car and get in and put their seatbelt on by themselves this is just a great day and you're so excited that they have this capability. Now, if you turn that around and you're walking with your parents to the car and it takes them five or ten minutes to get in and adjust themselves and their clothing and their packages, and then you have to put their seatbelt on because they can't quite figure out how to do that, I don't know about you, but a part of me was frustrated and disappointed, maybe even sort of angry at life, that they were fading. And so... Uh, Part of me just wanted to, again, sort of not look at that, but as I realized that I was looking at it and I was dealing with it and I wanted to deal with it, I needed to find some place of compassion inside myself. Um, And I recognized that when I was parenting children, uh, I had this compassion, I had this joy at their accomplishments, and I had a level of patience. Uh, for them to be doing something over and over and over again as they learn things, as they learned you know, whether to open a, a lock in the door or learn to drive, whatever it was. I had incredible amount of patience as a parent, and I wanted to apply that compassion and patience to these people that I had taken in in some way to be in my charge and my care. And so... That's originally how Parenting Parents came about, and I recognized that having some language that we could all share, having this be, as I began to see it, a life stage, I call it a pop cycle. I laughingly think of it as that wonderful popsicles we used to eat in our childhood, but it is. It's a cycle in a time of our lives uh, when uh, we really have reversed the old roles, where they were taking care of us and thinking about us and planning for us, and uh, we now are doing those things. And if we have language that we can all understand, uh, like a pop cycle, like pop parenting, like doing pop, we can unite around an understanding. Uh, and a go-forward basis of what we're doing. Uh, Is it dishonoring? I don't believe so. I believe that for me, it was quite the opposite. It was a way to tap into the positive emotions and caring I wanted to feel. And as I studied more about it, both from my personal experience of being in this journey with my parents for 10 years and as I read about it and worked with other families, I saw that having this way to relate to it, seeing it as part of a life cycle, appreciating that um, parenting was a very special time and that we really were having an opportunity through all these difficult things we were doing. We really had an opportunity to begin to heal our families, to see them more often, to share collaboration on tasks with them, to understand perhaps why we hadn't seen them so much over the years, and to bring closure to ourselves and our aging parents, uh, particularly as they've begun to face their last days on the planet. So, for me, the language that brings us together and honors what we're doing helps us to see what we need if we compare parenting parents to parenting children. We don't have parenting magazines yet for pop parenting. We don't have classes yet to tell us how not to abuse our parents. We are going to need these things. We don't have um, uh, books until this one coming out now that allows us to look at parenting as a whole time in our lives that we begin, we have a middle time, and we end, and that there's incredible value. Um, You and I have spoken about the fact that we just don't know anybody who's taken care of parents with Alzheimer's uh, or other aging chronic diseases who isn't really appreciative and happy that they had the chance to do that, however difficult the journey was. So that's
1: a a
2: lot of words about how this came about.
1: Yeah, I I want to break in and then I want to pull you back in because I know you still have a couple of other phrases that that I want to define. But I I think you've made such critical um, points here. And I know that um, there's a lot of people out there that think parenting our parents is childish and, and we shouldn't do it. But I think the key to me that that you made in your statement, Jane, and it's so powerful because it's where I think most people feel that they fail and they beat themselves up, is when you said it gave you a new level of patience. Yes. Because it, it was really, you know, when your child is growing, it's a learning curve, and as our parents age, you know, it truly is a new learning curve. There, they may not be learning
0: yeah.
1: new things on how to walk and how to do this, and you might be focused on more loss, but it truly is an opportunity to learn how to engage differently. And in when you when you are looking at it from that angle, I think it affords you the patience to focus on them. Because, you know, when you're raising your kids, it's it's really I mean we're pretty most of us are pretty good about trying to be person-centered when it comes to our kids but when it yeah. comes to our parents we have a really difficult time because we let so much get in the way. And so I think yeah. um I think that whole patience angle is so critical for people to look at the importance of that, you know, whatever you call it. Um, you do need a new level of patience because this is a whole different game. And, you know, there's no board game with rules out here, um, like you said, to help you through this. Um, everyone's in denial. I mean, people don't like the word caregiver. You know, they're not going to like the word, you know, pop that you, you're using for parenting. Your <laughs> they don't like the word senior. Um, they don't like to be called elderly or old. Um, you know, and if we go to our dictionary there's lots of reasons why, you know, <laughs> they don't like that. Yeah, right. Um, because it's so derogatory and I didn't even realize um how those words were defined until I went into um uh, high schools to teach um aging. And I you know, I just kinda of went on and on with all these words and it's like, well of course nobody wants to go there. I mean <laughs> very few yeah, of them yeah. are 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 honoring. And so we have to get into the role, whatever we want to call that, and if somebody can peg a new term that's going to be accepted by all, well, good for you, but that's not, not <laughs> an easy and not, not going to be an easy task, but go for it. Um, but that level of patience I think, is is really critical. The other thing that you mentioned was the pop cycle, and I really liked this too, because I'm a firm believer in life. Um, life cycles and life stages and lifestyles, um, and I think that they're all different. Yeah. And and I think your pop or parenting your parents um, is just another stage of life. You know, it doesn't have to be. I mean, and even when somebody gets diagnosed, um, we typically jump to to death to the end of life. Well, my mom's been living with memory loss for 30 years. That's a long That's end of life journey. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> you know yes and and so it really is in terms of how how people structure it and um, how they want to embrace it and what angle they want to you know go down this path with and and I think most people um you know they're they're not going to be able to turn on the light bulb right away you know because there is going to be that adjustment period um
0: sure. but
1: But caregivers, or as I like to refer to them as care partners, because I do think it's a two-way street um, where you are getting something back, which you definitely referred to um, and I've referred to, um, that it's a choice. You know, it's a psychological choice and attitude of how are you going to show up and take on this role, and what are you going to learn from it?
2: It is a choice, and... um Uh, I'd like to uh, enter into the conversation that in our country, um, in spite of uh, perhaps Obamacare and the uh, re-election of a Democratic Party, which many of us tend to see as uh, favoring um, the disadvantaged in our country, no matter who is in office, we are not going to have in this country the safety net that you and I need to take care of our parents when it's 3 o'clock in the morning and something happens. Uh, We need something beyond, um, at that point, we need something beyond uh, even good terminology. Uh, Mm -hmm. We need each other. We need each other. And this aloneness that you were alluding to where you went in a room and screamed uh, is a phenomenon that, so many of us over the years have had to do in our own kind of way um, because we didn't have the chance to meet up with each other and to learn from each other and to teach each other what we know. Now, I would like to say that your program and much of what the Alzheimer's Association has done and other uh, organizations has really helped a lot. Um mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more that needs to be done, and that's why I'm aiming to bring people together in a community where 24-7 we have each other. We have answers to questions like, mom's getting out of the nursing home tomorrow after her rehab. Where am I going to get grab bars in Cleveland before that happens since I'm here in Los Angeles? people will be able to connect with each other both on that very practical level but also on the level of what am I going to do? I miss my mom. I can't talk to her anymore because she doesn't seem to be in there
0: mm-hmm.
2: even when she's still alive. How How are you handling this? And you're going to have people you're going to be able to talk to and relate to. Most of us who are parenting a parent with Alzheimer's like you are Have had others. You had your dad with his brain
1: Brain disease, was
2: it? Mm -hmm. Brain tumor.
1: Brain tumor. Uh,
2: My dad too. Uh, I had to. um, He he got a. He fell and had an event in his brain, and at eighty-nine, I had to give him brain surgery. And he had to learn how to walk and talk all over again. Many different um, aspects of raising. like a parent, pop parenting one parent with dementia and there may be others. There may be in-laws or your favorite maiden aunt who you're caring for. So simply because you have one parent who has um, Alzheimer's or a form of dementia doesn't mean you don't need community for other elements of your parents' illnesses or for your own support for practical answers to questions. And that is you know, Behind the individual stories, what uh, I think you and I are trying to create with our work is communities so that um, going through this process is not so alone, and so we gain a variety of practical, spiritual, uh, emotional, financial, legal decisions, and we get to make them um, with intelligence and with support.
1: Yeah, I agree. When In talking about community and all the variables, because I think we do, people get pigeonholed in stuff. Um, you know, I found a new resource I wasn't even aware of, but um, I was honored with a, to be recognized as the number one influencer online um, for all things, wow. yeah. by, by ShareCare, which is with Dr. Oz. And ShareCare has... Just tons of health and wellness information lots of experts and they have a top 10 group in many different groups like diabetes which can be easily related or health problems because most people have more than one thing wrong with them um but all kinds yes. of them and they they're, they're, they're going to continue to build those resources but um share care is another nice avenue for people um to be able to just get information Um, from a good solid source there but um, you know no matter how many platforms there are it's still in my mind will probably never be enough just because everybody learns different and each community um, takes on its own little characteristics and I think that that's something that you know it's like it's like any other support group if it's Live and in person, or if it's online, not everything is gonna meet everybody's needs and and in my opinion, that's okay. Then you move on to the next um to find yes. what's what's gonna fit you. I don't know if you have a philosophy on that at all or
2: well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate you on a wonderful award how How very impressive um and and I'd like to sort of put a plug in for um, the value of the web. Uh, you and I know each other mm-hmm. through LinkedIn, and there are so many wonderful resources. Um, uh, the um, web page that will be my, the website that will be up soon, ParentingOurParents.org, um, it lists very a uh, whole bunch of resources in the pop world, and. Um, We're always open to people sharing new resources and adding them onto that page so that um, things that are of value for, as you say, one part of the community uh, often uh, show up as being very useful later on. And so um, the web is a great way for people to stay in touch and keep in touch and to do these kind of collaborative um, parenting our parents, dealing with Alzheimer's and all the other elements of aging. Um, as for getting into our subgroups, yeah, I think that's um, that's a tendency that we have. I, I really see this uh, parenting our parents um, phenomenon uh, as encompassing millions and millions of people. Uh, it's hard to get a, a flat number on how many there are because the the pollsters have not been out there asking people, are you parenting your parents
0: yet? Mm -hmm.
2: But uh, you and I certainly know that at least one in four, one in five homes in America are now affected by people caring for aging parents, whether it's with dementia, uh, other chronic illnesses, or just being older. Uh, So I think the opportunity to be part of the bigger whole and to take what we need particulars if you're dealing with someone with Alzheimer's. There are some particulars. There is an earlier need for detection uh, because of the potential harm that people with dementia might cause themselves or others if they're driving or uh, leaving uh, water running or Uh, lighting the gas stove and forgetting and so forth. But, you know, these detections are earlier, and so there are certain things one needs to be appropriate about. But I think that uh, bringing ourselves together and seeing where we really are effectively dealing with the same thing uh, is a much more useful way to garner support, perhaps to have political clout, um, to uh, gain what's needed, because many things that, for example, share care or Alzheimer's Association offers really go across the board in terms of utility. So I'd like I, to see us moving moving together rather than focusing too much on our differences.
1: I totally agree, and that is one of the things that I think is um is really kind of broken is everybody thinks that, you know, it's special and, you know, it's unique and and it is to a point. But bottom line, there is a core basis to to giving care and it's something that's normal and it's something that um, we cannot not do. You know, we have choices that we make and every choice, if it's eye contact, if it's saying hi, if it's giving a hug, if it's you know, going out on a limb to, to really, you know, jump in and help somebody. Those are all conscious choices that we make. And we're just not aware of them. We take them very much for granted, what we do day in and day out and how we affect yes. one another. And I think if we can shift that attitude to people really understanding what a big impact they can have on a perfect stranger just by how they look at them walking uh, down yes. the street, you know, we yes, can see. That's very nice much better care partners. And I think we would also take much better care of ourselves because we're aware of, you know, more of what we're doing and what kind of response we're getting when we're doing it. Because uh, I know, especially with dementia, I have found over and over again, a lot of times the way I am doing something is causing the problem. Yeah. Because they can't change. Yes.
2: Um, I'd like to put a little footnote in here uh, in terms of being a a good therapist.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
2: There there is, in my view, a choice uh, whether or not to parent our parents. And Mm -hmm. there are situations where parents have been or perhaps still are um, abusive, neglectful, or there have been circumstances in our lives where it just is not the right thing for us to parent our parents. It's not healthy for us or them. And I do want to sort of carve out an exception. I I think that um, the, the choice of parenting, whether it's having a child or taking care of an aging parent, is a choice. And I don't think I had any idea when I started, when I took it on, the depth or breadth of that choice. But that is something hopefully people grow with once they've agreed to take it on. And what we're finding now, because if one starts caring for an aging parent who's 65, uh, they may well live till they're 95 or 105. And that means we're looking at the possibility of far more than the 10 years I took care of my parents. We're looking at 20, 30, even possibly 40 years of caring for our aging parents when we are older Mm -hmm. um, and perhaps in need of some care ourselves. So the phenomenon is going to get bigger and bigger. And with people who are, um, the statistics say at 85, one out of two people has dementia. That doesn't mean literally of the two people, Aging people you're in a room with, one of them has dementia, but it means statistically that one out of two people in our in our country will get dementia at that age and suffer some memory losses and other disabilities. So um, as we're watching the graying of our population and people getting older, it's certainly going to be more years that we're looking at uh, doing this, parenting our parents, and that's part of why I think we need each other and the stamina and the infrastructure of each other to learn and teach from in order to be able to last that long.
1: In order to I'm most sorry us,
2: with that? Most of us aren't parenting our children for too much more than 18 years. Maybe they boomerang and come back and live with us for a couple of years in their 20s. But um, most of us are pretty much finished with our parenting within 18 or 20 years. And I think we're looking at something far longer and more extraordinary. And then the other part of it is with, if you have a three-year-old child, there's a a norm curve of what that child should weigh and how tall they should be and what particular kinds of cognitive tasks they should know how to do. Uh, What we struggle with, those of us who are um, working with aging people, is that we don't have a norm curve. There's no 83 year old who should weigh a certain amount or be a certain height, or have certain cognitive abilities. And so it's even more confusing for those of us who are looking to detect things and to do the job of parenting to know when to step in.
1: Oh, that's a that's a brilliant point too. Because we, I mean, whenever you go into any task, I mean, it's just normal to try to compare what's going on and yes. and i and i think that's part of the problem too is people want the fix. You just give me the fix. Give me the fix. Give me the pill, give me the thing i can do, you know, or the thing i can have that'll make it better. Yes. And, yeah. And it doesn't work like that because it's life and it ebbs and it flows and it changes and we change and you know, circumstances and stuff and so there there isn't any normal and so to me one of the biggest lessons um in terms of dementia and I think just caring for someone else is really come to grips with you know what you're not all that and you can't control it all. And yeah. so you really have to, you you really have to learn to go with the flow, be more spontaneous, um, look at more than one way to do a task, you know, become much more flexible and creative, just like we do when when we're parenting our kids. You know, their yeah. learning style might not work this way. Um, and so we have to teach them to do it maybe another way, you know, a workaround.
0: Good point. And, yes, good point. And
1: for and for some reason, um, we we just uh, or I should speak for myself, but you know, there were moments it would be like, come on, just do it. You've done it like this forever, you know. And it's like, well, that's the point. They can't anymore, you know. And it's because I'm trying to control, and it really is about me trying to feel comfortable. And I lose my perspective of if I'm truly caring for someone and trying to be person-centered, it can't be about my emotional state. It has to be about theirs.
2: And at the same time, um, those Mm -hmm. are such great points. I'm sure you've learned that you have to find a way to give to yourself and take care of yourself and refresh yourself or else you just can't keep doing it.
1: Oh, there has to be balance and and to be able to remove the guilt, I think having a, a platform and a community like you're talking about about building and giving people is um is wonderful because you know we don't we do feel guilty, you know even if it's just going to have a cup of coffee with friends for ten minutes i mean i I turned mine down for a couple of years and then I had a meltdown and said I'm coming for ten. <laughs> And then I stayed for two, and we laughed and we cried, and then I realized how much they filled me, how much they gave me, how empty I had become. And I didn't even know that because I was so focused yeah. on everybody else that you forget to look inward and go, how am I feeling? What am I doing? And so when, I, when I'm talking about the emotional base, I mean, you you definitely have to be in tune with yourself, but if it's all about you, I, I don't think, I, I think that's one of the problems. You can't, if you're empty, you can't be a great caregiver or a care partner. That's,
2: that's a really important point. I mean, there were there were days toward the end of my mom's life where I would drive to the skilled nursing facility and just not be able to get out of my car. Mm-hmm. It was just sad and depressing to see her there and to feel there was so little I could really do to help. Um it wasn't often, but sometimes I'd drive all the way across town and just sit in my car and go home. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and um, your point about staying refreshed um, and and having the community and the sanity to hear that that's not so odd. God, I could mm-hmm. get out of my car. <laughs> exactly. Or, or you know, or yes, I did meet with some friends and we talked or sometimes just simply getting the answer to where those grab bars you need to install uh, at the local Cleveland pharmacy so your parent can uh, go home and be able to be given a a bath um, is really, really helpful. So there's so many levels where you really can't do it alone. And those of us who have been struggling with that and with the guilt and the frustration, Um, I'm hoping we'll be warmed by having this community, this pop community that people can go um, in the next few days and sign up on the website and become part of and share the resources and, and the knowledge and the frustrations and everything that people feel that they can benefit from having other people's experience and sharing their own with. And I see that so much as the direction of how next we're going to be able to manage uh what you've been doing now for almost thirty years, Laurie. Mhm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a journey, but it's been um it's you know, to me, if I had to, you know, use one word, it would be privilege. Privilege and an honor. Um, because it's taught me so much. And it's it's raised the level of my ability to engage with people on, on new levels I didn't know were possible. And so uh, it's, you know, I try to just tell people, try not to be too afraid. You know, and and try to look at it from, you know, what am I going to learn from this? Um, how can I do things better? And that it's really about progress, not perfection. You know, because mm-hmm. I think I think that's where we beat ourselves up. You know, it's not good enough for, you know, for me. Um, I was a perfectionist, and I know that blocked my brothers from jumping in because they thought, eh, we can't, you know, we can't meet your standards. And so they didn't come around. And I won't take all the blame for that. Um, But looking back, it was like, oh, man, I was really intimidating. And I look at myself and think, I'm not intimidating. (laughs) I'm doing my thing. I'm having a good life, you know, and stuff. And so it's kind of of an interesting thing to look in the rearview mirror and really have some honest conversations, like with my brothers, of, You know, why weren't you as involved? And then to hear that and really go, and not push it off, but go, ooh, ooh, I wish you would have told me that. I don't know if I would have listened to that. Excuse me? I'm
2: glad you've raised the issue of um, siblings and the whole pop family uh, because um, I I was an only child and um, that, as it turns out, is both a blessing and a limitation, Um, but I've been involved in many, many families um, where there were siblings, of course, and again, this is such an opportunity for pop families to come together and to heal and to hear the kinds of things that you're talking about where perhaps um, people wanted to participate with their parents, but felt like uh, they weren't in the same town with their parents or there was already one very adequate person doing it and they would interfere. Uh, or uh, I hear a lot um, unresolved things from people's childhood, like, well, of course that's where you want mom to go. You were always mom's favorite, and you she got together and decided this, you know. And, and so what it turns out to be is that as people come together, and sometimes they really need to be coached to come together, and they find out how to work together and how to become a family again. So it's often in a remarkable time for healing and sharing, and what I've learned being part of a family where we parented, and my husband we parented, uh, with siblings, is that you really have to, often include people (laughs) in your choices when you're an only child. You kind of get to do whatever you want, but you're more alone. Mm -hmm. So um, there's enormous value to connecting up with other people who are part of the family or part of the team. Uh, I've uh, gotten into coaching families. I call it pop family coaching and shortly I will be setting up a training institute so that other people who've been doing pop parenting, like you and so many people out there, can help coach other families. Because I think once people understand that they can work with people through the whole pop cycle and learn how to do those initial meetings. You know, we were with mom and dad last night, and I didn't even recognize them. What are we going to do about this? Uh, from that beginning time uh, right through to the end and even sometimes after our parents have passed, the families and the teams that are working professionally, paraprofessionals, the caregivers and um, uh, care partners, I love that term that you have, Lori, mm-hmm. Um, can also be part of this coaching mission to get very specific practical things done and to create what I call POP plans as we go through the various stages where what appears to happen is the aging parents um, have fewer and fewer abilities and need more and more protection. And we, the adult children generation, the pop parent generation, we take over more and more of those responsibilities and help to give them peace and order and joy as they had... Uh, toward their final days with us.
1: You know, I like um, you know that you talked about the pop plan, and I, yeah, I like this new language, and um, and also the the pop family coaching. We haven't really talked about that, and I can't believe our hour is almost up. We're down to about seven minutes here, so I, I want you to, <laughs> to definitely um talk about the um family coaching that you do and and what that entails and how people would get a hold of you.
2: Wonderful. Um the uh, the way to get a hold of us is contact at excuse me, info at parenting dot org. And um the um the question you asked about coaching, is um, it seems to me that many of us just need some help. We don't necessarily need um, long-term family therapy, although some families would benefit from that. But Mm -hmm. we need some help to negotiate this extraordinary time. And um, given the absence of resources, on a mass scale, the absence of pop parenting magazines, which if we had magazines, and we will soon, um, they would guide us through some things that we don't yet know how how to make our way through in a way that allows us to keep ourselves refreshed, that allows us to, as you say, include our brothers and sisters in the decision processes and in the effectuating of those decisions. Um, how to talk to each other, how to listen to each other, um, how to deal with the fact that sometimes there are family favorites or there are people who are closer. Some people have certain skills. um, And these are all things that can be utilized in the service of parenting or parents. If uh, your brother is just the greatest Uh, things since seven up according to your mom, you sure want him there if you and the family have seen that mom has to move out of her home and into some assisted living or more um, uh, safe facility. You want the one who is the best able to communicate with your mom there to reassure her that this is not an abandonment, that this is in fact better care and that that you all will be there with her the whole way. And learning how to talk and learning how to uh, share our feelings with each other, with our parents, how to talk with our professional help, our doctors, how to get people involved with each other is a phenomenon of coaching. And so discovering that people need that um, opportunity, I came into doing it with families and primarily I do it on the telephone and over Skype. This allows people to uh be in all their different locations and sometimes here in Los Angeles you can just be down the street but it takes a half an hour to get in to an office. So this way people can all be on their computers, see each other, talk to each other, look at each other uh and make decisions together. So um that's how I came about coaching. People can currently get it from me uh, by going to info at parentingourparents.org, dot org, and uh, soon they will be able to get it from other people who are perhaps local to them. If they'd like to be meeting in people's offices or have other more hands-on kind of coaching opportunities, we all need some help, Lori. I'm I'm really getting that from this conversation with you and from what you and I have seen over the years communicating with families doing this wonderful care sharing
1: yeah that's a that's a nice way to uh to put it i uh on my site I just added a new area when i when I built the site I wanted it all to be about sharing resources and so I don't really have a chat area but if people find an article or a blog or a book or you know of a memory cafe or there's an event. Um, all of those things can be put into the site and and share the care, you know, that you found a good resource. And it doesn't cost anybody any money to to do that. Um, but one of the things that I found, and I think you're finding it too with what you're developing, is that there isn't a spot where people come together. I mean, everyone has this kind of ownership over things. And and we really need this sense of community. And so, um, on the site, if, if people go there, there's a in the upper right corner, there's a partnering options, and it just says share that you care, and it's a very simple form that you fill in, you push a button, and poof, it's in there. And um, you know, I'll review it and uh, make sure that it's appropriate and so forth. But um, you know, it, everybody needs different things at different times, and so I'll I'll probably be more um, open. Than some other sites would be because I I don't want to be the judge and the jury of what the next guy feels is useful and helpful yeah. because I think we all do need different tools at different times um, and so there'll be a, a somewhat of a of a line there but um, it to me it's really about gathering the information and and being able to point people in directions of other communities like yours um, so that they can find a place to really be able to communicate and um and feel okay, feel safe, because I think that's one of the things that that happens is when people get scared they don't feel safe.
2: Uh you you uh, started the hour here talking about uh the value in sharing our stories. And I think, you know, that's really uh one of the keys that um when we're all alone, our stories seem fearful to us, and uh, we seem to be um, odd and um, evoke unpleasant feelings like guilt or resentment or judging ourselves for not being super women or super parents. But by sharing our stories together, we get to understand that we're all in that boat and um, that we really are trying to do the best we can, and that's what um, this mission is all about. And uh, so that's why I think it's so useful to be in communication with each other, to undermine that aloneness, as well as to be learning real specific kinds of things that um, will help us parents.
1: Well, in that aloneness is is such a critical piece um because you can get so isolated, and I think when we get isolated, we become more unsure, we start second guessing ourselves, um start feeling more um more overwhelmed, and there are so many people doing what you're doing, and so you know be brave, break the cycle, start talking about it, and you'll be I think you'll be shocked at how many people go, "Oh yeah, I've done that." or I know someone, or here's a resource. Because people at their core, I truly believe, want to help. Um, And so, you know, this isn't dirty laundry. This is life.
0: And there are lessons Uh, to be learned and shared. Nicely put, yes, it is.
1: Well, great. Um, any last comments you want to squeeze in? I need to get our, our next guest on with us, but this has just been so fun. I would love to have you back on the show again, Jane.
2: Oh, thank you. Well, I've, I really appreciate the opportunity that uh, your show provides people, uh, people as uh, like your um, the um, fellow you're working with who himself, uh, Rick Phelps, Mm-hmm. has um, early onset and the parents and um, it's really a, a, a great service that you're doing and I'm glad that Dr. Oz and share Care have, re- have recognized that uh, I'm just hoping that uh, we keep bringing people together uh, parentingourparents.org is going to be the go-to place for people parenting our parents and there they can find out more about getting together with each other about coaching, about the community, and uh, that will be up in just a couple of days. But in the meantime, we do have. Uh, if they want more info, they can go to info at parentingourparents.org. So I would love to come back sometime and uh, continue to to uh, provide some uh, some good stories with you and hear what you have to say. Thank you, Lori.
1: Well, thank you. And, again, people can get a hold of Jane by going to uh, emailing her at info um, at parentingourparents.org or www.parentingourparents.org. And, Jane, if you would do me a favor, when your site is up, if you wouldn't mind even just writing a short um, paragraph or something, I'll go ahead and push that out on the blog so people know that you're up and running. Lovely. And yeah, I mean, we're if, just talking a couple days here. <laughs> yep. And if you have uh, time to, to do an article, again, I, I'd more than glad be, uh, be glad to do that as well, just to remind people of the resources that you have for everybody. So you have a wonderful day, and um, thank you, again, for all the time that you shared with us today. It was was wonderful. Very much appreciated. So My pleasure, and thank you, you for soon. all you're doing. Okay, Bye-bye. bye now. Well, I'd like to now introduce our next guest, who is just a marvel. I can't, I can't wait to talk with him. And his name is a little bit of a struggle for me, but I think I've got it down. Um, I love his name though; it's very fun. It's Ellie Ezer uh, Sobel. and Ellie is uh, Ellie Ezer is an author of Blue Sky White Clouds, um, which is a book for memory challenged adults. He has um, written lots of different books, gotten national awards, and is just um, just a very, very interesting man doing some really unique things. Um, his mom had dementia, and um, he's going to share with us today some great stories of, of lessons that he's learned and why he feels blue sky, White Clouds, um, a book for memory-challenged adults can really help others out there with memory loss. So welcome today, Eliezer. How are you doing?
3: Hey, Lori. Thanks for having me. I have a little bit of a cold, so my voice is kind of gravelly.
1: Well, that's okay. We'll just think of it as sexy and we'll just move right on. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, works. That,
3: that works for me. Okay.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I, I got your book the other day uh, in the mail, and it's just a very fun, fun book. But before we get into that, I want to um, have you give people a little bit of background about your personal experience with dementia uh, with, with your family.
3: Okay, well, my mom is alive and well at um, almost 89, and she began entering um, what turned out to be full-blown Alzheimer's over 10 years ago, and obviously, it's a, it's a long journey with many, many stages and phases, and as you well know, so... Um, I'm not sure where to begin. Can you ask a more specific question about that?
1: Oh, sure. I, what I was looking for is in terms of um, maybe if you could share a little bit about, you know, what your what your family life was like with your mother um, prior to the disease and then maybe a little bit of how you handled um, the diagnosis itself or came about it. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah.
3: Okay. Well, um my mom is actually a Holocaust survivor. She wasn't in the camps, but she had to escape Germany at age 13 with her um intimate her uh, family of origin, although she had to leave her grandmother behind who lived with them and her grandmother would be taken off and um killed soon after. So that horror story sort of filtered through our family system and our family dynamic and particularly through my mom, who um, brought with her from Germany a lot of fear, which manifested as dramatically as when I was a kid growing up in Fairlawn, New Jersey, which was more or less leave it to Beaverville, a perfectly safe, Mm -hmm. suburban-friendly town. Nevertheless, if my dad was out of town, my mom would put an axe under her bed, which didn't make me feel safe, exactly. Wow. And I didn't learn, figure it out till I was in my 30s when I spoke to her brother one day, who also has Alzheimer's, by the way. And he said, oh, well, you know what the axe is about, don't you? And I said, no. He goes, well, on the evening of Kristallnacht, which was the night, basically that triggered World War II, when the Germans trashed all the Jewish families' homes and businesses, some Nazis broke down my mother's front door with an axe in her little village, and her mother actually picked the axe up and handed it back to these um, thugs, and then her Christian neighbors came out and chased them away, but somehow that axe became symbolic, and 30 years later, she would have it under her bed uh, in Lawn, New Jersey, as if the Nazis were going to break down our door at any time, so I kind of grew up with a mom who had this fear in her? She was, it was always like us and them. Our family and our house was safe, but anybody else was sort of considered other. And so there was a certain uptightness she had. She was constantly warning me about anti Semitism, which I personally rarely experienced in New Jersey, once or twice maybe, but it wasn't dominating my life. And I found the Alzheimer's, <clears throat> we were blessed in that. I know that for some people, Alzheimer's can make you, uh, well, either you can completely withdraw into sort of a zoned-out state or you can go through um, a violent type of uh, period. My mom, I went to a psychic early on and said I was a little afraid that my mom was losing her memories. And this psychic, this is like 12 years ago, said to me, you know, I think your mom might be actually happier without her memories And sure enough, over time, she just became a happier, more easygoing, loving, sweet, childlike, adorable person. She just became very open, laughing all the time. Sometimes we had no idea what was so funny, but she would just make us laugh with her. Where she had previously been very private and kind of with, you know, only not speaking to strangers and everybody was a stranger, we suddenly found we'd be leaving a restaurant and, hey, where's mom? And we'd look back and see she was stopping at every table and talking to the people at the tables. She All her fear of people disappeared, so it was quite wonderful, and it actually opened my heart in a way to her and allowed me to feel my love for her over the last ten years in a way that I probably hadn't felt it fully since I was a child because I fought her a lot on um you know just as a rebellious teenager and that carried on into my adulthood I mean I did my best to heal our relationship but it really fully came around and healed itself effortlessly when you know when when her dementia started to kick in and and rendered her so childlike
1: wow so what a gift. I mean, really, um, not only for her to be able to remove that fear, but for you to see a whole other side of your mom that yeah. you didn't know existed. Yeah, I saw her
3: essence. I saw her essence in a way that I had kind of missed it for a lot of my life. I saw who it was that my dad fell in love with and stayed married to uh, for 67 years and counting.
1: Wow. Wow. That's that's uh that's quite the story um uh, oh, one one that. quick
3: one one mm-hmm. quick little anecdote you know throughout her life if ever there was a tv show like a documentary on about world war ii and they showed hitler or a picture of him in a magazine she would get visibly disturbed and upset or even cry and avert her eyes it was very powerful for her and it got to the point after a number of years of Alzheimer's where I was helping her put her sh- her jacket on one day, so I had to kind of push her arm through the sleeve in such a way that it, it moved her arm up in the air, in the, and, and she spontaneously said, Heil Hitler, and laughed and laughed, and I don't even know if she knew what it meant. It just came out, but all that fear was gone, and that was now a source of humor to her.
1: And, yeah. and if you show
3: her a picture now of Hitler, it means nothing. she doesn't even know who he is
1: oh, thank or God. Me, or,
3: yeah. or me for that matter <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, but there's some some things in life that are, are better off not remembered and you know, yeah. yeah bless her for that. Well, let's talk about um the book um blue sky white clouds how did how did you come up with that and and why do you think it's important?
3: Well, it was, it was kind of an amazing story. Um, my mom lost, very gradually, all of her language and communication skills in English. Um, she initially started uh, regressing and putting things in categories. For example, a vacuum cleaner, a telephone, and a camera all became the machine. And I, I marveled at that because it was like her brain knew the difference between a machine and food or, you know, it was a mechanical object, but she couldn't name it, but she knew it was a machine. And then from there it it went to, word, you know, what they call word salad, which was she was still using English words, but they didn't make any sense. I don't mm-hmm. even know if I can imitate it, but it would be like, well, the telephone man ate tomorrow's, um fruit on top of my uh stomach and I don't know if snow will help the television, things like that. Mm-hmm.
0: And then her
3: English disappeared and she substituted a language that she completely made up, uh, words such as um the Mingleman is no more fallinger doop 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 is it? Uh, no, mom, the mingle man isn't Falinger dupe. She goes, Oh no, no, I don't think so. Oh well, fring tapa Stingle da da. You know, she was really speaking, and we would have long, engaged conversations, and I would actually feel the connection. Um, we were communicating; it just wasn't linear, and it wasn't m- meaningful in a linear sense. But it was meaningful in that we were looking each other in the eye, we were laughing, and we were feeling each other. So I. You know, even though she didn't know my name or that I was her son, I still felt her light up when I came in the room and felt us connecting in a very loving, warm way. And and that seemed to be all that I needed. But in any case, one day, completely by accident, I came into the room and she was flipping through a magazine. She liked looking at the pictures. And suddenly I heard her reading aloud
1: in English
3: some of the headlines in big print. And it was a complete... um, it, it just blew my mind. It was a revelation like, whoa, mom can still read. I mean, she mm-hmm. can only read individual words or a few a few words together. She can't read a sentence or a paragraph or a book or a newspaper, but she can still read a few words. And that just floored me. And I said, oh, that, well, that tells me what I need. I'll just go to Barnes & Noble and I'll buy her an adult picture book written for dementia patients. And I went that same day and I searched and searched and there was no such book in Barnes and Noble. And I went to the children's section and I looked there. But all those books were not appropriate for my mom because mostly they're illustrated in a cartoon-like way and my mom has an aversion to animation. Most of the children's books have monsters and creatures and caricatures most of them have storylines that she wouldn't be able to follow it just didn't fit so i went to amazon and searched and searched finally i called the Alt- the national alzheimer's association asked for their librarian and this woman knew of one book that sort of fit my description and i ordered it and my mom read it 200 times so i knew i was onto something and i knew there was a big need so i created um blue sky white clouds which is the most simple idea in the world each page just has one simple beautiful colorful photograph and a 3 to 5 word caption describing what's in the picture you don't have to remember a thing to ch- to turn the page each page is a brand new world and for my mom there was about 5 years when she would have really enjoyed this book because she would enjoy the pictures and still be able to read the caption sadly in the time, the two years time it takes to put a book together and get it published and get it out there, she has since lost the ability to, even to read a few words, but she is still enjoying the pictures. So that's how it came to be, and um, I'm just amazed to just uh, find that there's hundreds and hundreds of books for caregivers, and, and now there's one or two, including mine, for the actual patient.
1: Oh, very neat. Very very neat, well, it's you know the illustrations in here are just beautiful, and um it it like you said it it is you know for an adult, I mean, a child could easily look at this too, um but it's not it isn't the characters, and the pictures are just very nice, they really draw you in, you know. Um even from Other the, ordinary
3: others. things like people and babies and children and um nature like mountains and ocean and the moon, very familiar and friendly images
1: well, and I love i mean just the first one here, a tiny yellow bird, it says, and it's being held in somebody's hand and they're they're you know petting it, and it just draws you in it just it just melts your heart, you know it's just like, oh, it's so cute and you know, so fragile and so I mean things that people can relate to and pictures of babies and gorgeous snowfalls and um, dance and you know I can I can see where this would be really really effective with people because you know as they say a picture picture says a thousand words and you've chosen just a few um, to help you know capture it and engage them but there's so much more to to reading than just the words, and yeah, and people that, are at
3: all different stages of dementia, so people who can still speak a little will look at the pictures and it will stimulate memories and thoughts and associations,
1: mhm, yeah, and get the get the conversations going, and one of the things that I really liked that you um had stated was you know how how you engaged your mom, you know um kind of saw a different person. And, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, you were okay with the new person who who showed up getting to know her, and I think that that's just so, so special, because so many people are afraid of the newness and what it well, is. Well, I have to or, tell
3: you, you know, I have, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I have to tell you, I saw all the different ways of, of rea- all the different reactions one could have within our very family, like. My brother very clearly felt that he had lost his mom quite a few years ago. Um, My dad, which I did and I felt like in some ways I found my mom, my dad, which is quite understandable after 67 years of marriage, it took him at least three years more than my brother and myself to figure out how to interact with her based on where she is and was. He was still trying to insist that she be true to how he remembered her. He was insisting that she had more memories and more cognitive ability than she actually had. It was obvious looking from the outside, but to listen to him interact with her, you know, it seemed like an adult trying to play chess with a toddler. Like, he, he would argue with her, and they were the most absurd arguments. If you. Try to imagine what they sounded like to her because she would get off the phone from uh, from talking to her sister. And about 20 seconds later, my father would say something like, you know, how how was your talk with Gerda? And she would say, well, who's Gerda? And he would say, your sister. And she goes, I don't have a sister. And -hmm. he would say, of course you do. You just got off the phone with her. What are you talking about? And there would be a fight. But it would be a one sided fight because from her eyes she was just hearing this man get upset about something that she didn't understand, and it took him quite a while to make the um to adapt
1: yeah it's a it's a tough tough thing um for for family and spouses and friends um but once you can get past needing that person who was you can really appreciate the person who's before you. And and find all the gifts that they still have to offer, um, just in a different fashion, um, you know, in a different presence. Yeah. And yeah, he, my dad has, is
3: fine. You know, he de- he de- my dad definitely came around to the point where now, you know, several times a week, if not every day, he'll send us what he calls a momism, and it's a, one moment during the day where she touched him or his heart opened. Might be something as simple as. Kissing her goodnight, and she'll pop out with something in English for the first time all day, and she'll say, Mm -hmm. "I like that." One more, you know, asking for one more kiss, and you know it'll just open his heart, and he'll he'll write to his his grandchildren and his kids and tell us all about this one moment with mom. So he has grown to appreciate those small moments of connection.
1: Oh, that's wonderful! That's absolutely wonderful. They they are so precious, precious, and I like the momisms. You know, he's kind of come up with his own own little name for them. There, um, can you tell us uh, a little bit on you know the individual words or phrases um, that your your mom could recognize and read in, in the book, and you know how does she how does she utilize it now, and have you have you seen it used with others as well?
3: Well, uh, Lori, the, the book just literally came out about a week ago, and okay. I'm in Vir- I'm in Virginia. My mom's up there in New Jersey, so my dad has and the and her my mom's aides are spending time with her, going through the book. And from what I understand, she you know they read it to her. Like I told you, she is in the time it took to publish it. She has gone past the stage where she can read the phrases which she could have done for about five years before Um, but she is enjoying the pictures not all of them like um, she's always been um, not very favorable to animals when her dementia first came on she had a personal vendetta against squirrels All of a sudden, whenever a squirrel appeared on our lawn, she would either bang on the window or go outside with a broom and start chasing them. She hated them. And so apparently when she got to the picture in my book of the beautiful dog with the big brown eyes, she didn't like that. And when my previous book came out, which she was not able to read, she was able to read the title, which was The 99th Monkey. And so her only critical review of my last book was based on the title, and her review was, I Don't Like the Monkeys. <laughs> that, was all, that was her final word on my whole book, because oh. that's all
1: she could oh. read. But still, for her to you know have an opinion, you know, that's, right. that's, right. that's a neat thing. That's a very, very neat thing. Um, very positive. Have you... Um, You know, I'd love to be able to help you market this book, and hopefully our radio show will help do that. But I would um, definitely want you to add it into our resource directory on uh, on the Alzheimer Speaks website so that people can get that. I can't remember if it's in there or not, actually. Uh, You'll have to
3: to tell me how. I don't
1: know. I'll have to check that out because, um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very neat thing. Um, to be able to do. Now you had talked about your mother's language and you know her speaking skills kind of fading. Um, and how did you feel about the stages that you've you've watched her go through? I think some some families uh, members really feel like they get trapped in a stage. And do you really feel that there are stages in this disease?
3: Well, obviously, yeah. The the very first stage was troubling because. You know, I started, and my brother started, my brother before me, then me, my father was the last to notice certain things that were very striking. For example, we had a shopping mall five minutes from our house that she went to probably two to three times a week for 50 years,
1: and one day
3: she got lost coming home, and I said to her, um... Mom, that doesn't sound right. You know, it's only five minutes from the house. Maybe we should get you checked out. And she got instantly a little angry and defensive and said, You would have gotten lost, too. It was very dark out. So I could see from the beginning she was sort of going to be in denial and and not very amenable to, you know, in fact, she never officially was diagnosed. I mean, we try, We finally got her to go to one or two neurologists, but they were both bad experiences. Um, she didn't like the people, and nothing, it was early on. So we, she never really was treated, but it was so obvious because she had all the classic signs. Um, also early on, I went for a walk in the park with her, and we saw a beautiful white egret, and we came home from the park And five minutes later, she came into my room and said, did I tell you about the beautiful white egret I saw today? And I said, oh, Mom, I was with you in the park. And she said, really? And she had no recollection. So I knew right away these things were happening more and more on a daily basis. Um, And then another stage, which was the most difficult, I'm fast-forwarding a few years because things are very gradual uh, for her since it's been 10, 11 years now. Um, The worst stage was she did have a brief violent period. Uh, The height of it was she would start chasing people like the AIDS or my dad with steak knives. (laughs) We had to hide all Mm -hmm. the knives. And -hmm. she would start throwing heavy objects across the room, ripping apart uh, photo frames and the pictures inside, ripping them up, you know, precious old photos, And and the most unusual one is every time she passed herself in a mirror, she would start screaming at her image. So we had to, unfortunately, put her in a psychiatric ward And for 10 days, which was just a horror story. um, She was treated poorly there, even though we stayed with her 12 hours a day. She hadn't been in a bath or shower three years previous. She had only received sponge baths at home because she had mm-hmm. developed, like, like many Alzheimer's patients, a deep fear of water. And we had a witness, you know, four nurses and aides at a time physically forcing her to endure being sprayed down and hosed down with a shower hose and
0: mm-hmm. screaming
3: bloody murder and coming out and falling into my arms, crying. It was just heartbreaking. But on the upside, after 10 days, they found a magic pill for her. Um seroquel, and she came home on seroquel and has never she's been fine ever since I mean that was three or more years ago, and we managed to reduce her dosage from four hundred milligrams, which is a lot of seroquel she's mm-hmm. now on only 20 she's now on twenty five a night, which gets wow. her to sleep sleep through the night without incident and be alert and awake and in a pretty good mood generally all day. So we're, we lucked out on medication and we lucked out on her mood stabilization because since that time, except when you change her, she'll be like an infant and you know she'll really rebel against that invasion of her privacy. But mm-hmm. it'll pass like an infant. Five minutes later, she'll generally be back in a good mood. She still eats well. And she's still very engaging. She's not like one of these people who's zoned out in a chair sleeping through the day. Um, so you know, it takes takes a little presence and energy to interact with her because she's ready to be with you all the time. Mhm. Wow. So those were the cool. main, no, Those are some of the stages, and you know, in in a nutshell, some you know, it's leaving out all the subtleties in between.
1: Mhm. Yeah. See, how did like neighbors and friends react? Um, Did your parents stay, you know, in the same, same location, or did they have to move during this period of time? And
3: my dad and my mom are living in the house that I grew up in. And when I'm 60 years old, and when I visit, I sleep in the same bed I slept in when I was five, and. So they haven't budged. My dad, fortunately, has the uh, financial ability to keep her home. And, of course, it took him, again, three to four years after we said he needed help, before he would accept help. But by now, he does have a team of aides that come and go throughout the day. He doesn't have 24-hour care. He insists on them being alone through the night. Um, But he has people pretty much from 8 to 8 in the daylight hours. He does the shopping and the cooking still. Um, And the first three to five years, it was sort of a taboo for him. He didn't want anybody to know. And yet we knew that all the neighbors knew because it was obvious. Anytime they would engage with my mom, it was completely obvious. But Mm -hmm. he thought it was a secret until it wasn't anymore. And, of course, now... He's way past that it's um you know now it's it's no longer a secret to anyone. everybody on the block not only knows but we have extremely helpful and friendly neighbors who have often uh my dad has had to call on them if my mom like fell off a chair and he, when an aide wasn't there and he couldn't lift her back up, you know a neighbor was right there to help. They've been amazing,
1: oh that's nice, that's nice it's. It's funny how we all tend to hide it, you know trying to and I think we do that under the you know the measures of um dignity and things where people really do know what's going on, and um for whatever reason we we try to we try to hide we try to hide it, and it's so obvious typically to the outsiders. And they want to talk about it, but they don't know how to approach it because they think that we're not comfortable about it. And, um, anyways, that's been my experience. Is that, has that been yours as well?
3: Yeah, well, you know, dignity is such a big thing. And, and my mom was a very dignified and proper, well put together person. And, you know, um, she really showed a very positive face to the outside world and cared about that a lot and we witnessed such indignities being done to her in the hospital I mean just to get her admitted to the psych ward she had to go through an eight-hour admission process in the ER that included five people holding her down to get a urine sample And I didn't see this, but my brother witnessed it, and he said it was the most horrific thing he's ever seen. And, uh, well, I mean, I I shouldn't, I mean, some of the stories probably would turn your listener's stomach, so maybe I should spare them. But, um, yeah, there were a lot of indignities along the way. Uh, But now, you know, she's still going out, believe it or not, to a restaurant twice a week, and all the Mm -hmm. waitresses all the waitresses know her by name and know what she eats and what she doesn't eat and um it's kind of nice
1: oh that's very nice that's very nice yeah. to to hear it's um you know it's it's sad about the hospitals and the clinics because we just assume that they know how to handle these situations and they really do need a lot of education in terms of approach um well i will
3: also say if anybody else is ever in this position if at all possible a family member needs to be in the hospital you know as many hours of the day as possible to advocate for your loved one because otherwise they're one of many patients most places are understaffed and you know your loved one just can't get the proper attention so we actually—I mean, I—I I was floored—but we actually had to be the ones to let the nurses know it was time for my mother's medication. My mother needs to be changed, you know. Things like this—they weren't, you know, if we hadn't kept badgering them, it wasn't going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and I didn't understand that, you know, that you know, because we were there, they would take care of it. Who knows how long they would have left her sitting alone, you know, otherwise.
1: Well, especially in this day and age when they're running around with pagers, they they should be able to just put in those little alarms, you know, that I need to get back there in two hours to check so-and-so again. Oh yeah. uh, well, you know I vol
3: I volunteered at a nursing home with a 95 year old woman, and she mm-hmm. who was had all her marbles. It was amazing. We would discuss ballet and symphony orchestra symphony pieces and poetry. She was just blind and infirm in a wheelchair, and she would tell me how she had, was up half the night ringing her alarm for help and waited three hours. So, it, you know, it, it's just it's not anybody's fault. It's just funding and understaffing i think
1: yeah yeah it's it really is too bad um because that just you know adds to the agitation as it would for any of us you know it's it's just um you know hopefully things things like that will change in the future there um as far as, you know, your your book now, you you had mentioned to me earlier that this was going to be, you know, the first book in a series. Can you tell us um, you know, what's next
3: for you? Well, you know, I I was wondering if you were going to ask me that because I know it says first in a series and mm-hmm. I'm that keeps changing in my mind and I'm actually wanting your feedback, Lori. My original idea was I thought, you know, my mom grew up in a generation where she was in love with Clark Gable. She had a crush mm-hmm. on Clark Gable. She loved Jimmy Stewart and Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn. So I thought perhaps doing a book about these old-time movie stars that would be recognizable to her generation um or for men in particular, you know, Babe Ruth and famous sports figures. But now I'm sort of wondering, since, you know, that generation is passing slowly, if, uh, I don't know, perhaps the second book in the series might just be more of what I've already done, just to have a variety of more pictures. I don't know if I need to focus on, I, I'm unclear about the answer to that. So I wonder mm-hmm. if you have any ideas. Do you?
1: Well, you know, I... I mean, I still think there's a lot of people in that era. Um, you know, you could, if you were worried that it might not sell as much because of just of the age in the area, I mean, you could you could knock it down and go, okay, what's the next group and what what would they appreciate? Um, you know, as far as as memories and stuff, I think that that is is uh, you know anything that triggers you know what they've gone through in their life, you know, significant. Um, Aspects um, I think are, are beautiful um, to be able to do, and everybody, you know, everyone is a little bit is a little bit different. It would be interesting, even um, you could almost do these books um, targeting certain people. So let's say you wanted to go after the the air, you know, retired airline people. You might have a book just about all about planes, or another one all about trains. Um, that people have been around all their life, um, or it could be strictly animals. I like the mixture that you have in this book myself, but I think that there are other people that would like a full category of, you know, one that's just all animals or, you know, different things. But I, I personally, for me, at my age, I'm, I'm um, 53, I, you know, I like the variety, but that's just kind of the type of person I am. Right. And with that, so I'm not much help. <laughs>
3: it's okay. It's still in. It's still in uh, percolating in the back of my mind.
1: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, it'll be interesting. You'll definitely have to keep me posted as, as new uh, new projects crop up for you because this is just a, a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, again, it's called Blue Sky, White Clouds. A book for memory challenged um, adults, and I think that that subtitle was really important too because it just really pops out for people. Because so many times um, people are looking for a book just like that, and um, and I hear comments all the time. Well, this really isn't, you know, this really isn't for an adult. You know, they're, now I've got them reading a kids' book. So I think there's going to be a huge, huge appreciation for that. and um, Yeah, it
3: literally is the only book of its kind out there, which I'm just amazed by. Like I said, I found a similar idea. Um, I'll even give her a plug, because they are wonderful. Uh, by uh, Her name is um, Lydia Burdick, and her book is called Sunshine on My Shoulders, I think. And I said, you know, I, I ordered it for my mom, and she did read it 200 times, but um, Lydia's... Uh, illustrations are still animated cartoons and still have sort of a storyline of sorts, uh, but they are wonderful, but they're not quite as simple and direct and to the point as mine. Um, and a way to contact uh, me or find out more about the book, it's a very simple website. It's the title of the book, com, and that will take you anywhere you need to go or you can search for that title on Amazon. Um, yeah. I'm trying to get Maria Shriver interested but I haven't succeeded so far. So it's hard to reach these high-profile people but
0: oh, I would really I know, love trying it. To
3: yeah, I would trying really love give. it if someone, someone like that would get behind it because I, you know, unlike my other books which I think were great, this one in particular feels like a service to other people and I'm um, as interested in getting it out for their sake as I am, you know, for me to sell books.
1: Mhm. Well, the the thing that I like about it too is, you know, you I, the way it opens in terms of the size, it's a nice size book. It's a hard to cover book, and it really is um it really could be used as a as a tabletop book you know a uh, a coffee table book um because of the the pictures it's just uh, it's a very inviting kind of upbeat um feel to it and um it's just it's very well done um so kudos well and the best part to, with
3: with most dementia patients is each time they pick it up it will be a new experience mhm <clears throat> excuse me when i uh, yes. when my grandmother was 94 and um in her deathbed essentially I made a um, cassette tape for her, speaking to her and singing songs to her. And she listened to it every day. And every time she heard my name or or heard me saying, Hi, Grandma, it's Eliezer, she would respond. I was told by my aunt, who she lived with, she would respond with complete delight and surprise. Oh, Eliezer. Actually, I was called Elliot back then. Elliot. It's you know, he's here. And so every day she listened to it like it was a brand new gift. And it's the same thing with a book like this. You know, it it, it gets a lot of mileage with each person who reads it.
1: Um, oh definitely. It's, yeah. it's it's just it's wonderful. I'm so glad that um that we were able to connect and that, you know, I'd love to help uh help you push this out. And I did check the resource website and your book isn't in there, so Um, If you just go to the Alzheimer's Speaks um, resource website, and then in the upper right-hand corner there's a big button that says Partnering Options, and it says Share That You Care. If you click on that, it'll bring you um, to an area where you can just upload the information, push a button, you know, put in the good old code, and and it'll be in there. So, yeah, it would be be.
3: And then the next day, there will be millions of people who will buy it. Is that how it works?
1: Millions, millions, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: that's the other That's the other funny thing, Laurie. I once had a, a different psychic. I, I, I'm the kind of person who goes to psychics. Um, held years and years ago, in the 70s, I think, tell me, that one day my writings are going to reach millions. Now, I've had about five books out and published two magazines and 300 magazine articles, and I'm still waiting for my writings to reach millions. So I had the funny thought that if this is the book that should reach millions, it'll be quite ironic because it'll be millions of people with dementia who won't even know my name or care. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it'll, it'll be like poetic justice that I may finally reach those millions, but they won't know me. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
3: it's a real ego humbler
1: Yeah, well it's still, you know, it's still all about uh, meeting that need And it's a great yeah, book Yeah, it's, ser- it's, it it's
3: a service
1: It does that very, very well You know, I just um, received an award um, Not an award, an acknowledgement, I guess Or recognition from Share Which I was going to tell you about with um, Dr. Oz Has this Share Care program, which is all about health and wellness on on the web. And they have a Share Care uh, now uh, top 10. And so they have the top 10 group that they did like 70 metrics and analyzed everything on who has, um, who are the top 10 people in the world that have this reach, um, you know, disseminating information on Alzheimer's. And I was honored with getting the number one reach. And Whoa. you know what I, I'm a, and I'm a one-man show. Um, Congratulations, and Lori. And, That's And I have no budget, so you know things can happen. I think when your passion is That is, is there. so
3: exciting. I'm so it's thrilled very, for you.
1: It's very, very exciting and very honoring and very humbling, and you know, and and I look at it as I think that you know you will with your book when it reaches the billions of people that it will, that it it's not. You know, it's really not about ego and it's not about you and it's not even about your mom who's taught you these things. It's about the need that exists, the information that is mandated that we have to get out to the people and um, helping them connect and engage in a really simple, easy fashion that's non-threatening, that doesn't cost an arm and a leg so everybody can get back to the core of who they are because I think we've lost that.
3: Yeah, and it also is a really nice way for caregivers and and their loved ones to have an activity to connect with, to sit side by side on a couch and flip through the book together, as opposed to I know a lot of people, they're burnt out and they just place their loved one in front of a TV for hours a day and hope they take a nap just so they can get some relief. And I understand that. Adults with little kids... Often, you know, that's what Sesame Street is for. So I do understand that, but we need some alternatives that actually are engaging and provide, you know, a living, feeling connection.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that that activity for engagement, um, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. And I think sometimes we think it does and that it has to be this big to-do, um, but sometimes it's just sitting next to somebody not saying a word, you know, just... Yeah appreciating their presence um i'm going to um if if it's okay with you i want to donate the book that you gave me to my to my daughter who works in an assisted living with memory care um i showed this to her the other night she's like oh mom they would love that you know (laughs) and yeah i'm trying to figure out how to
3: get it into memory units around the country it seems like a huge potential you know place where they could use it but i don't know how to do that Do you
1: well, I think um, you know doing some articles on it with LinkedIn. I think would be really good because there's just great groups out there. Um, you know, I can definitely mention this. Um, you know, when I'm out speaking and so forth, and maybe when I when I do some gigs, I'll ask to pull it back from her <laughs> if I can get if I can get it back from her once I once I give it to her um, because I could put on. Well, it I can send phone. you
3: another. I can send you another one. <laughs>
1: okay well, why don't why don't you do that cuz then i can get it used there and um you know maybe we can get her her community is is quite large um maybe volunteers of america will be interested in it once they see it for other other places but a lot of it is just you know word of mouth um connecting with uh with different therapists would be good i think as well um and you know i'll i'll push it out any way that i can because i think it's a very I hear people asking for this all the time. I mean all the time. And hmm. so it it really I think you've hit a nice nice chord. Um and uh and you know I think it will be embraced. We just have to help help you get it pushed out there. So um you know and as, well, I appreciate
3: I appreciate you a lot.
1: Yeah, well, and I think yeah. everybody who's listening, you know, you know, sh- share the information. You know what you're listening for. That's what these. That's what this radio show is about. That's what the resource website is for, and the blog. It's it's all about sharing the care and helping people develop a toolkit. Because what works today might not work tomorrow. Might not work five minutes from now, and that's okay. We just have to be prepared with different things, and we have to um, we have to listen closely. I think um, to be able to help those who are in need, and so. One of our listeners might not have anybody um, who they're dealing with with dementia right now. But chances are they're going to have a friend or a family member or maybe even themselves deal with it in the future. So it's about getting educated and um, being proactive. And your book is just such a beautiful, like I said, it's beautifully done, and um, it will fill a need, and I think it will... Also, when people are engaging with somebody, it just, you know, when you have that connection, and you you know this, when you have that connection, there is just that comfort and that warmth that you, it just kind of overtakes you and you go, this is the relationship I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. And now I have it back you know, again.
3: <laughs>
1: now, my mom
3: is at the point where she is so in the moment. I mean, so many people... In the world today are reading books like the power of now you know trying to learn how to enjoy the present moment while well, my mom is so in the present moment that if you literally leave her exact line of vision you know if you just move two feet over and she doesn't isn't focused on you you disappear from her reality and then if she turns her head and sees you again it's like a joyful reunion it could have been three minutes three seconds or three years it's the same joy oh you're here and you know it's just always astonishing to me so i try to make the book similar and that when you turn the page it's a brand new world a brand new photograph a brand new reality um I, I, I just, before we close, I, you know, I'd love to tell a few of the funny stories because there's so much laughter and humor with my mom um, that she laughs at before we do. It's not like we're laughing at her. She'll say something and then just burst into laughter. And for and, and some of these are when she still has a few English words. Like, for example, I'm sitting with her at the kitchen table um, and this wasn't too long ago, within the last year, she'll still occasionally pop out with an English phrase. She's tapping a glass of apple juice with her fork, making that, like as if she's going to make a toast, but she's mm-hmm. studying it. She's studying the glass of apple juice, kind of puzzled, and finally she stops and looks up at me and says, I wonder what size brassiere he wears. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, okay. I <laughs> That's you know there's just so many moments like that um so there is you know there is the joy of laughter and humor throughout this book can be a tragic process, and like I said, it's a lot more tragic for my dad or sad at least because he's there on the front lines every day um without his partner, you know the partner he 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 loved for and loves for so many years, he's had to adjust to um you know re- relating to her in a whole new and different way and so it's a lot harder on the p- person who's there every day every minute you know i'm i'm sitting back here uh, from a distance you know visiting as often as i can
1: mm mm-hmm. wonderful well how do people get a hold of you and um and get a hold of the book
3: well you know if they want to just buy the book search for blue sky white clouds with an S, White Clouds on Amazon, because um, there is a book on Amazon without the S. <laughs> I didn't know that. Or uh, to get to read more about it and to contact me, just go to the website blueskywhiteclouds.com, and you know you can look on the website and find my contact info. It's easier than oh. saying my name, which nobody can remember or pronounce.
1: Ilizar, <laughs> how's that? Ilizar.
3: Well, I, I yeah. trained you. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: that was great. That was wonderful. <laughs> I, I so appreciated that. It's actually my oh. it's
3: actually my he my Hebrew name from birth. I was I was Elliot for the first half of my life, and then I went to Israel, and all the American Jewish people were for fun trying on their Hebrew birth names, and mine stuck when I got home. For at least the people I met afterwards. My father Uh still calls me Elliot, and my old friends that I met in childhood still call me Elliot. But um, I've been Elliot. My wife only knows me as Eliezer. Oh. So I have a little bit of a schizophrenic existence with my name.
1: Well, you know, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, Hmm. Well, I appreciate the time that you have spent with us so much today. Is there any last uh, last, uh, thoughts you want to share with our audience at all?
3: Um, just I'm going. I wrote a kind of I wrote down a few moments with my mom that I loved, and one of them, a- again, describing how in the moment she is. This this happened a few years ago. I called her and said, "Hi, mom. What are you doing?" And she said, "What am I doing? I'm sitting here with a phone in my hand." And I said, "Really? So am I?" And she said, "You're kidding." And she couldn't believe the coincidence that we were both doing the same thing. We were sitting there with a phone in our hands. You know, that's how present she was to what was happening. Oh,
0: <laughs> and, then
3: it's, and then at some point, she would start saying such strange things, and I didn't know what she meant, and then I figured it out. You know, she'd be saying, "What?" I, I would say, what's going on, Ma? She would say, well, there's a lot of men on horses. Oh, and now it's snowing. And and now there's two little children. It looks like they're eating cereal. And I realized she was watching television and describing moment by moment what was appearing on the screen, including the commercial. You know, so um, oh. that's one of my little stories I wrote down. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, and it is. I mean, my mom, um, I mean, we had one where we took her to the movie theater, and I've I've shared this with the audience a couple of times, but it's just so cute. We went to watch, um, uh, what was it, Christmas with the Cranks, and they were all protesting because one of the families didn't put their big snowman on the roof. And so the whole neighborhood came out in the street and was protesting free, frosty, free, frosty. My mom, who is not very mobile, Got herself out of her chair in the theater, stood up, and started protesting and yelling with the group, free, frosty, free Frosty! <laughs> <laughs> because for her it was it was real, oh, you know, yeah. that was her reality that wasn't we weren't in a movie theater that was real, and it, thank God it was a short clip because then she sat down, but she just <laughs> beamed in her chair, just beamed That's... she was so proud of <laughs> taking action, you know it was very That's cute. hilarious.
3: Very That's hilarious. So, yeah, whenever said, it was snowing, whenever the weather changed on TV uh, in a movie, my mom assumed it was snowing outside or raining or whatever. Yeah, there was no distinction between TV reality and reality.
1: Yeah, yeah, it It kind of takes you back, and then you just kind of go with the flow. You know, at the nursing home where my mom was at, the staff were so wonderful. Um, Way back when, when Jag was on TV, she used to think that that was real. And so once a week, the staff would take turns um, making sure one of them watched Jag. And then they logged what happened to Jag so everybody knew, because my mom would just get furious. You know, she'd be like, you need to know what's going on in the world, you know. (laughs) And so they just all played along, and she was so happy with that and very you know, but it made her world content, which is you know what person centered care is all about um doing doing for them what uh what keeps them comfortable and I love that you brought up the the humor aside because you know humor to me is the core of almost any relationship you know it's just such an important factor anyways in my life and um and i I that's what <clears throat> that's
3: how my mar- that's how my marriage has survived. I married a comedian
1: <laughs> well, I think it's critical not to lose that um that gives us such balance and um you know, and just can rejuvenate our souls if we just allow ourselves to laugh and again not laugh at somebody but laugh at a situation um and those those moments of laughter i mean I have a ton of them and you know i will never forget those moments i mean they they make a bad day for me good and you know don't don't let this disease disease rob you well thank you again so much for your time and we'd love to have you back again you know let us know how how the series goes and what's what's happening and um we'll help you here any way we can and in the meantime you and your family just have a a wonderful rest of the year.
3: Lori, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your support so much. You have no idea.
1: Thank you. Oh, good. Well, thanks. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show today. We do have, um, let's see, For our next show is coming up on the, what is it? The 16th, I want to say. Yes, and that's going to be a really interesting show because we're going to have Abe's Garden on um, which is just a fascinating facility um, and community that's being built in Tennessee. And we will also have um, Grace Homes with us, which is a, a small group home. So we're going to have a larger uh, community and a smaller one on uh, talking about person-centered care. And then on the 13th, we are doing our Dementia Chats, which is a webinar series. So please uh, visit our website, www.alzheimerspeaks.com. And, um, you can check that out as always, you know, just, uh, just hang in there and remember it's about progress, not about perfection. We can only do the best we can with what we have in the moment, but we can always improve in the following days. Take care. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebasti, your host of retire repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements.